On this episode of the SBR Podcast, we'll be joined by Todd Stofka, a prominent Philadelphia-based hypnotherapist and practitioner of neuro-linguistic psychology. Todd is an entrepreneur and founder of Philly Hypnosis. Todd and I will discuss the world of hypnosis in sports, neuro-linguistic psychology, we will even simulate a real-life client situation, and proceed to talk through the hypnosis process. Joining me today on the SBR podcast is Todd Stofka. Todd is a certified hypnotherapist and a master practitioner of neurolinguistic psychology. He developed the Stofka method by integrating neurolinguistic programming and hypnotherapy with his background in Aikido, Jiu Jitsu, and a variety of competitive sports. Todd is the founder of Philly Hypnosis Centers, and since 2001, Todd has been spending his days rewiring negative thoughts or behaviors and assisting his clients in overcoming a wide variety of obstacles. In addition to his appearance today on the SBR podcast, Todd has been published and has been a contributor on ESPN, BBC, Fox News, CBS, and multiple local Philadelphia affiliates. Without further ado, Todd, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, Todd, it's uh, my pleasure. And, you know, our first question, you know, I just have to ask, and I think my listeners are curious, how did you first hear about hypnotherapy? That's a great question. Um, I think back in my earlier career in uh, being a sales manager, I was exposed to kind of the, and you know, as, as a sales manager, sort of the mental game. How can you have a rapport and relationship with somebody very quickly and yet it's almost as if you're Chinese and someone, the other person speaking French, right? You know, you're sitting at a table, you're sitting across the desk and you just can't communicate. So I happened to run across uh, neurolinguistic psychology and what it began to do is unpack the way, you know, God has us thinking. You know, we, we kind of fire and wire our brain or wire and fire it in different ways and we have different ways we see things, hear things, feel things, and it becomes our belief system and that belief system runs into our, you know, the patterns that we live. So when you begin to understand how people process certain things, there becomes a very repeatable, repeatable um, actions that they have. And with that, then you can take that information and use it to develop better rapport or you can break rapport, you know, with that. So as you, as you looked at how, you know, neurolinguistic psychology got started, one of the, one of the founders or the people they studied, and this is where modeling came from, the two founders, uh, Bandler and Grinder, modeled a guy named Milton Erickson, who was the grandfather or father of um, U.S. and British hypnosis. And Milton Erickson had this ability, even though he was disabled, to develop a great rapport and help people make a lot of breakthroughs and a lot of changes. And so what they, what they saw, they, they developed for NLP called modeling, and they would just basically take the techniques that Milton has used without necessarily knowing exactly all the background behind it 
and were able to repeat the performance. And so when you began to look at, you know, people, let's say one of the things they studied was marksmen in the military and how can someone be such a great marksman? You could take somebody like Tiger Woods, you know, when in his peak of his golf, we could bring him in for a seminar and he might not be the best teacher. However, he, you know, during his day was the best golfer, you know, on the PGA. So the ability to play and the ability to communicate are really two different things. However, if we can understand enough of, you know, Tiger's brain, what he thinks about that controls the micro movements in his body, because any golf swing, like a baseball swing or rolling a, you know, bowling ball probably has over a hundred little micro movements and your brain cannot possibly do, you know, a hundred things because your conscious mind can do plus seven plus or minus two thoughts at one time. Your unconscious mind handles, some people will say, 2.3 million things per second. So the idea of if you are the golf club or a baseball bat, the idea of holding it back, you know, elbow adjustment, you know, hips, wrist, you know, movement through, snap, you can't think that and, and talk your way through it, especially, you know, in an elite level, because the ball, as we were talking about earlier, takes about a tenth of a second or less to move from the, you know, fingertips of that pitcher into the mid of the catcher, right? So there's got to be a way in your brain to set those things up on a more of an automated process. And when it's, when it's in the, you're in the zone and doing it well, batters get hit, you know, get hits, golfers make great shots. And when it's off, guess what? You're striking out, you're uh, missing shots, towing it, healing it, topping it, uh, you know, and not having a great day. And then the question is, is what do you do the next time you're up the bat or the next time you're ready to, you know, hit the golf ball? Do you, are you repeating the past failures or is your mind in the zone clear enough to do what you want it to do, right? So when you begin to model, you know, they, w- they looked at marksmen and some of these people that at great distance with a sight on a rifle we're able to hit bullseye after bullseye after bullseye and, you know, the confidence to, you know, on the trigger, a very sensitive trigger, be able to hold it and adjust it in all kinds of weather conditions and still hit the mark. They could take that and then they built a way to train other people to become close to their results. They might not be the absolute best. But where they were, you know, at such a low level in performance, they were able to get repeatable performance out of people by taking the internal wiring, thought process, dialogue that was in that top performer and putting it in other people. So that modeling part came out. And so when you look at this, you begin to model experts and you begin to basically download, if you think about in a computer term, you know, that their mental technology into yours so that you can begin to duplicate it. And then obviously get it to work in your personality in such a way that it becomes a favorable trait performance wise to you in getting results. Now, Todd, let me ask you something. There's the physical component, just to say for better sake, shooting a foul shot. Then there's also the component where, you know, the visual component. Um, we, we talked a little bit 
previously about the physical component and practicing. Say you're a 70% foul shooter, you continue to practice, you might up your foul shot percentage to maybe 80% after a couple of weeks or a couple of months, you know, depending how diligent you are of practice. That being said, for those who are more maybe a visual learner or for better lack of word, do just visualize it. What are you are you saying they'll have some sort of success too? Um, is that is that something? Is that a component? So what you're what you're referring to? Let's kind of let's kind of for your listeners. Let's kind of build a baseline of what uh, what we're talking about. So we've taken we take you know basketball players or people that just you know, throw the basketball and we we baseline them with let's say a free throw shot, right? Have them throw a hundred of them, kind of get a number of where they're at. So the question is, is that you're going to have people physically practice this and then just mentally practice this. So I think it was um, either the University of Arizona or Indiana that did this test where they would take people and set them in a room and teach them to mentally rehearse making the free throws. So all they did was sit there. They didn't touch a ball for a week. And then they, they just mentally rehearsed it in a certain way. And then they went out and retested it. So the people that were physically throwing it came in roughly about the same. And the people throwing, you know, who throwing for the first time and after a week were just mentally threw at it eight to maybe 15% better than the people that physically practiced. And the reason that comes with that is that when you learn to do this mentally, you still get all five senses, the visual, the auditory, the kinesthetic, you know, the touch, sometimes smell and taste in there, and you can do it perfectly. So you and I go head to head and shoot and free throws, you know, however good we are, we're going to miss. Like you said, somebody shooting 70% means they made seven, they missed three. So, if you think about when you were going to school and you came home and you got a seven out of 10, so seven out of 10 on the basketball court court gets you millions of dollars, seven out of 10 coming home to your parents on a quiz probably gets you sent to your room. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, it's, it's not, it's not, it's not acceptable. Right. So when you bring that in there, what are you focusing on? Are you focused on the ability to make 70% or the 30% that you miss? Well, you're focusing on the positives, I'd imagine. Am I wrong? Well, you would think, but how often, you know, when the sports is a baseball player, think of this is a, this is a worse percentage. You know, we, we hire, um, what, Bruce Harper, you know, on the Bryce Harper, excuse me. And um, he was batting what with the, you know, Washington Nationals? Three, 350, four? Yeah, he had a couple of good years where he was over 300. That means seven out of 10, though, we messed up. <laughs> the, pitch, the pitchers got the best of them, right? In baseball, if you, if you get hit three out of 10 times, you're a Hall of Famer, right? Seven out of 10 times, you're failing. That's right. So you've got to balance that out because seven times you failed, three times you, you've done well. Sure. Right? Sure. So it, it's a failure game. You know, even with the best PGA golfers, they probably will tell you that out of a, a round of 72, maybe five to eight shots were really what they think were outstanding, <laughs> you know? So, you know, it's those days when you, you know, mentally in there that you're playing ugly, right? You're not hitting the fairways, but you're still scoring okay, right? Or, you know, you're hitting your fairways and you're still four-putting it. Uh, you know, I mean, your game, your game falls apart. It, so it, it's, it's being able to understand 
the mental process that controls your body when you're in the moment to do whatever that action is. You know, whether it's, you know, your drive, your fairway shot, your approach shot, your putt, get up, you know, in the baseball, you're going to get at least three swings at a ball. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what's your, what are your thoughts? Are you thought about all the times you struck out before? Is it your girlfriend? You know, your coach yelled at you, you know, something came on. Get up there and you got competing thoughts versus one thing. See the ball, hit the ball. At Philly Hypnosis, to kind of give our listeners an idea of what you do going off of that. Let's just say, kind of role playing here. I'm a golfer. The re- my game is pretty solid, right? Essentially, maybe the last couple of rounds, I have shot a 72, 71, plus or minus, you know, one or two here or there. Um, however, I've lost a lot of strokes on the green. My putting game is not good right now. And I have a lot of big tournaments coming up. I'm focused on those. I'm kind of reflecting on my past performances. I come to you as a client. What's the first thing you're going to do with me? Um, how are you going to better my game or my thought process? So one of the things I do is I have an intake and assessment form. Okay. And what this does is it kind of puts in the framework of the sport of golf, you know, where some of the things that people identify issues. So, you know, here's one that commonly comes up. You suffer from anxiety, worry, or excess tension when in competition. Sure. So, you know, the the visual thing that happens if you played golf and you're putting is that you're standing over the ball, whether it's a 20-footer or a two-footer. What do you do with the hole? I'm not sure what the actual measurements of a hole are. Let's say they're five inches, six inches or something. So what happens to most people is, is they make that hole so small that the ball can never go in in their mind, right? So it doesn't matter if they hit it in the center, it wasn't going. But what would happen if we made the hole three feet wide, you know, in their mind? Probably have a lot more success. Yeah, you'd have a lot more success, right? Yeah. Um, What if you could take that and look at it as you're reading the green and almost kind of, um, you know, it's almost like you could drag your putter and and cut a groove, right? Mm -hmm. You know, once you kind of got in your idea of, you know, the, 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 direction what if you could cut a groove or or imagine putting it along a line yeah you know so it goes in so you know with the free throw shot we were talking about before you know one of my female clients gave me this visual they they look at as a rainbow you know a rainbow has a nice arc so if you thought about a nice metal arc that all you did was push the ball up and it rolled over and then it dropped you know swish same idea you rolled it on the green here you know and it rolls right in right You've got, you know, a a visual part of it. And then when you think about when I've had my best rounds of golf or any sport, um, last night I was playing cornhole against my neighbor and we're pretty competitive when I'm, when I'm relaxed and almost having, you could say an out of body experience. Okay. My body's just doing it naturally. Right. Yeah. But when I start breaking down, like, uh, you know, my swing, like, am I, am I, taking my back swing too far back and my break in my wrist too soon. You know, I start to put, you know, I start to try and change things versus just let it go smooth, you know, and like not a care in the world. My best rounds, you know, in golf or anything have been like when I'm totally out of my head, there's no conscious noise. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just letting it flow. Right. So that's me. Now that may be a little different than you. Mm-hmm. Right. So, but in looking at that, how do we get you back into that state where you have your peak performance? 
And so when we know what that peak performance is, we can repeat it. You know, it may seem like it's as magical as in Harry Potter, that little Quidditch that, you know, they chased around. However, you can begin to repeat that. So whether it's a visual trigger, an auditory trigger, a kinesthetic trigger, you know, you can get that back right there so you can repeat it and repeat it, you know, and repeat it and, and be in the zone. Sure. Sure. And if you if you watched, you know, I had a chance a couple of times to be in a, you know PGA tournament, and and Tiger was really one of the best at this. Um, I probably still is. I haven't watched him, you know, or seen him in person, but you can see. And you, I think Adam Scott talked about it last year. I was looking at some interviews. Is that when they're inside the ropes, mm-hmm. like everything disappears? Well, now with this pandemic, there's no there's no gallery to watch. <laughs> Anyways. Um, but when they're inside there, everything else disappears, you know? So when you think about if you've played golf and you're standing on the tee and there's hazards out there, water or out of bounds or something, you know, how big do you make the water? You know, if you, it's my focus, it shouldn't be, but it is when I tee off. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's, and it's like, you know, the, isn't, if it's Bagger Vance or the greatest game ever played, they actually show this because, you know, in a golf thing, you know, an amateur, what they're going to do is they're going to make the pharaoh narrow, narrower and longer, mm-hmm. right? So making it much more difficult to go in there versus somebody that you think about making it wider and shorter. Okay. You know, I have gym, you know, gymnasts on the balance beam, it's four inches wide and it's, I think, four feet off the ground. So, you know, when you think about that, when their brain gets overwhelmed, all of a sudden that, you know, beam gets to be like a rope that will lend walk on, right? Or a wire, sure. as opposed to what if we made it three feet wide, you know, and your feet just naturally, you know, stick and bounce off the beam, you know, where you want. It, it's becoming, you know, coming back to your, your original question here is defining, you know, what you want and then what's the, what's the mental zone or framework that allows you to repeat that performance as easy as possible. So let me ask you, you, you said you are a competitive cornhole player and you play against your neighbor. Cornhole is a very repetitive sport, as you know. It is. And right, the objective is to get the, to get the bag into the hole. Um, right. It's a non-moving target. Do you specifically have any advice for cornhole players out there? Is there some sort of tactic that you use personally? I'm just curious. Well, there's really two tactics. You know, one, when you're playing, you know, heads up or team, you're actually playing against one person. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's kind of like playing, you know, match play in golf. Okay. I don't necessarily have to be better than you. I just have to have you make so they could easily frustrate their opponents. So that's always something in my, my tool bag. You know, the second part is dialing what I want. So, you know, when you come in my office, I have there. So once I practice on a board, you know, if it's in the backyard versus, you know, inside where it's super flat and it can be set up well, you know, you kind of get a a general flow of how the the bags slide on it. So I just kind of, you know, once I know that and I can see how my bags are sliding, I just kind of pick where I want it to land. Okay. You know, and I can get it to move. Sure. You know? And then, you know, there's other parts of it if you're, you're blocking and, you know, you know, setting up a little bit of defense or, um, you know, really, you know, when you airmail something and you just drop it in on your opponents and, you know, they just, it just kind of frustrates them because they're, they're doing well. And then you just, you put something in that's a low percentage shot, but you nail it. <laughs> and, um, you know, then you, then you just kind of, you know, 
you know, put some more fuel on the fire to get them annoyed. And then they typically derail. Yeah. Because, you know, it, it was something like last night. I mean, I think I had, um, you know, in a bunch of games, I had two four baggers in one game, you know, where you put all four, four of them in there. And then I just watch my opponent. And, uh, you know, in that game, like all of a sudden he was missing the board, <laughs> you know, like, and he's kind of going like, what's going on? Like, <laughs> you know, it's like carnage off the book because all your bags are in the grass, you know, type of thing. But it, <laughs> but it, 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 it becomes that internal frustration. And the question is, is, you know, this is, this is an area that I have on my assessment is learning to manage mistakes. Okay. Because mistakes are going to happen. You know, the question is, is how do you manage them? Sure. And and being able to, you know, especially, you know, whether it's a business situation or, you know, a, you know, in sports is that, can you come up to the next, you know, shot, you know, action that you have to take and come up clean and, or use what you would call a negative situation to, um, help you perform at a peak level. Okay. And, and let me, let me give you an example of this. So back for the London Olympic games, I worked with a gentleman named Cadivas Robinson and he was in his early thirties. I think he was 34. He happened to be the tr- women's track coach at UNLV at the time. Okay. And I began to work with him with the mental game of running. He ran the 800 meters and at 34, you know, most of the Olympians running are pretty much coming out of college. So he was still training. And one of the things is Kadivas was still quick. Um, he still was, you know, he was in contention. However, he had a, a, a thing that he developed when he would come to a race. And when he would come to a race, I think an hour before, he would get a little anxious. He could, you know, vomit. He could get tight. You know, it's that the pre-race jitters or pre-game jitters that people have. Sure. And it never really kept him out of the blocks for running. However, it, there was a lot of inconsistencies. So when you think about this pre-race jitters effect, now you could think on one hand, if, if we could reach in and find it's usually in your gut or in your head or in your throat or something, depending on how you do this, because everybody, it's something they do to themselves. If I could think about, if I could reach in and grab it and throw it away, right? You know, which is, you know, one way to look at this. And we put in calmness or we put in focus or we put in confidence or whatever is one on one end of the spectrum, right? Sure. And when, when I worked with him on this, I said, hey, if we could cut this off, what would it be like? And he was going, you can't do that. I've been doing this since I you know, was a young, young athlete. So it's a learned skill. So I imagine, I didn't really press him for it, but when I work with other people, I usually, if the parents are in there, I was going to say, which one of you <laughs> taught him this? because it's an unconscious behavior, you know, it's, it's a learned behavior that way. So the other thing is that one of the, one of the ways I like to use is called utilization. And so here where you wouldn't think of taking something of, uh, of an anxiety pre-race jitters, how could we use it? Well, the pre-race jitters mean only one thing and that's that he's at a race. Yeah. Okay. And I asked him, why are you at a race? And he looks at me kind of like, I'm there to run. Okay. And I said, how do you want to run? And he goes, I want to run fast. I said, and when you run fast, what happens? He goes, I win. All right. 
So here's a new neural connection that we built, you know, on a very simple four-step thing was pre-race jitters means I'm at a race, I'm right here to run. And when I run, I run fast equals I win. Yeah. Okay. And so I, I built that whole process. So what you would call is a negative situation that he wasn't going to give up. Right. I mean, I asked him, can we get rid of this? And he said, no. I said, all right, we'll just use it. I mean, it's just, it's going to happen. Right. So as long as you recognize that your brain then doesn't go into cramps and, you know, throwing up and, you know, anything else that would limit you, but just means, Hey, I'm at a race. Okay. I'm here to run. I'm going to run fast. You know, we call them, you know, flash. And, um, you know, he started, he started getting really consistent in his races pre-qualified. He was a number two man for the, you know, U S team, you know, at the London games and he's doing his thirties. Wow. You know? So, um, it was, it was that, you know, type of way that you can look at things at whatever level. I don't really care if you're eight years old or, you know, you're 50 years old. It doesn't really matter you're still going through something in your brain. Your brain thoughts always lead to behaviors and actions that lead to, you know, feelings and emotions. Sure. You know, this is the fire and wire that they think. So are you remembering your past? You know, is it, you know, is it, um, your past mistakes or you remember and your, your successes, right? And this is where, you know, you've got your past part of you and part of it can act like a boat anchor because you're, you're sorting back there. Then you flip it over into your imagination, which is your, your short-term future, and it becomes worry, anxiety, and fear, mm-hmm. right? And then, you know, if you, you, you get into worrying. Now you're worrying about making a mistake. Yeah. And so you're putting your energy into the mistake versus putting your energy into, you know, draining the pot. Yeah. And, and let's take a step back here because I know this is a sports business podcast. However, everyday life, people have anxieties going into a big meeting, running a meeting, um, maybe that large interview that you landed, no matter what it is, right? Do you also deal with just everyday individuals in the world of business or those who maybe even just want to lose weight and have anxiety over losing weight? Absolutely. I mean, so weight loss, stopping smoking, I think I've worked with over 800 smokers and clients are running better than 85% success rate. Wow. Um, so, you know, making, you know, that addiction, breaking that addiction, uh, you know, getting back to enjoying fresh air because they believe the lie, mm-hmm. you know, weight, weight loss is, you know, the, the enjoyment of more food, not, you know, not enough, you know, physical activity, you know, in the belief system that coordinates between there. Mm-hmm. whether the, the belief was learned or, you know, observed because your family just is that way, you know, a habit of overeating, you know, large individuals and, you know, what's your belief on being thin? Sure. Sure. So let's come back to you. Let's come back to your, your business meetings, because this is kind of where, you know, one of the areas the first that I, I kind of used it for myself in that thinking about what you're going to have a meeting and, if it's, if it's a first time meeting versus you're running, you know, an agile or scrum, you know, stand up meeting or something a little bit different because everybody knows each other, um, you know, voice of the customer, voice of the process, you, you can begin to think about what do you want to have happen? Where do I need to move this herd, you know, from, you know, in this next 30 minutes and where do I need to move this herd over the next six months? Mm-hmm. Right. And looking at 
when you when you look at it from the you from the back part and design it from the rear, you know, from the finish line back, you're saying like, hey, I need to get the change management of this group, you know, design it in such that they're firing and wiring and doing this, and we're we've we've accomplished, you know, X, Y, and Z, and we're on A, B, and C, right? Sure, sure. So you begin to kind of work it back and say like, okay, what kind of steps do I need to take them through, you know, as a, as a group and as individuals and begin to explain it to them, begin to make it, you know, function. And, you know, the simplest way in doing this is um, it's called the format system. One of the things I learned back, but people in their brain want to know four things, you know, they want to know why they're there which I think it's around 40% of the people want to know why, why, why am I in this room? Why am I in this meeting? Right. Mm -hmm. And you answer the why question, then they're ready to hear the what. So some people will know why they're there. They want to know what we're going to do, what, what's involved, where are we, you know, what are we going to end up, you know, as the end result or something. So now you've got maybe 30%. So now 70% of your audience is, is on board because they understand why they're there, what's going to be involved. The next group wants to know, they already know why they're there, what's going on, but they want to know how are we going to do it? So you're kind of chunking down, getting a little bit more in the weeds and a little more specificity, you know, in doing this, right? And now that's going to take us to about um, between 85 and 90% of the audience that's on board. And you've got the last ones which are your what if people? And they're sitting there going like, well, what if I, if we do this and it fails or what if it doesn't work or what if, you know, so they've taken your idea. They basically tried it on, taken it into the future and it doesn't, it doesn't work in their mind. Sure. However, it looks, it sounds, it feels, it smells, it tastes, it doesn't really matter. They've just kind of, you know, gone out and, and used it and they can't believe it at this point. Right. So your job is you have to inoculate against what they could potentially do in that situation. Okay. Right. And so now all of a sudden you've got a cohesive group and you can have it, you know, as voice of the customer, voice of the process, you can have your devil's advocate, you know, you can put these different roles in there and, and begin to manage because we've got this vision has all these components in it. They may not all like it, but they've agreed to it. And, and you begin to do that. So now that's, you know, that's a framework of, you know, working with the people. Now you standing up in front of it, mm-hmm. right? How are you? Do you, do you have the confidence? Do you have the curiosity? Do you have the fun, the playfulness, the steel toe shoes to kick people, you know, through the hoop, you know, you know, that, and, and beginning to play that role and becomes kind of interesting because you can change your demeanor. And how does your, how's your demeanor need to be to become more effective, more charismatic and in doing things? Is it, is that giving you a little bit of insight? It makes complete sense because I'll say as a sales manager in my um, full-time role, we have a, we have a meeting once a week and we don't necessarily run off an agenda and I can feel kind of some apprehension in the room, individuals who aren't really tuned in, people who are half listening, the doubters, those who are on board. Um, which are there are very few at the start of the meeting. As some of those answers start rolling in and questions are asked, it seems like engagement levels pick up. But it sounds like almost how you command the room through maybe an agenda or your attitude can set the tone for the meeting. Sure. I mean, you want to, you want to, it's like herding cats. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? 
And that's, you know, kind of looking at some of the projects and people you come in and you're, you're working with is like, how am I going to get these cats from, you know, point A to point B, you know, when they're acting like this? So when you're working with salespeople, they tend to be more options oriented people where they like a lot of variety and don't really like to be um, procedural. Sure. And, and so when you find salespeople um, just like they're getting everything done, they're very good. They're very people oriented. They tend to, you know, make relationships and open doors pretty easily, but sometimes doing the, the mundane repeatable things don't, doesn't, doesn't necessarily work. So be, if you look at a lot of, you know, selling manuals and selling books that are out there, they tend to want to put, you know, different boxes around the way people think. And sometimes that works and sometimes it, you know, it doesn't. There's other people, you know, where their accountants or financial specialists, they enjoy a tight, you know, box environment around them because those walls help them feel secure. You know, I don't really want my accountant doing my taxes to be really option oriented. I want them to know where the IRS guidelines are and how, how you can work, you know, right off the line without giving it all away. Yeah. Right. And, but I don't need them to be, you know, putting me into some Ponzi scheme where we lose it all. Exactly. You know, the same, you know, the same idea when you're, when you're looking at man, you know, looking at people and how God's wired them, what, you know, what are their traits that make them good and how do we make them better? Okay. You know, make them, you know, in, increase the performance. And so, you know, you have that on an individual basis and then you begin to take that into, um, you know, into a group, you know, a team, Sure. you know, a team into, you know, a bigger, you know, unit or, you know, part of a company or division, depending on the size of your organization. For a team or a large organization, um, obviously you, you have a very robust background yourself. Are there any individuals who may be in the media or let's, let's just say high profile individuals who have followed these, these teachings, any coaches, any business personnel that you can think of offhand? I mean, you think of any, you know, you know, Belichick as a football. I mean, he he's gotten a group of people and he's put a team together where he's he's made a repeatable process, right? Sure. And the repeatable process is to move the ball a hundred yards down the field, and the other one is to stop you from doing that. I mean, that's you know, the, all the little elements of that is how he does it. You know, whether it's a low-scoring game, a high-scoring game, you know, he just has more points on his side and less on yours. Yeah. You know, I mean, when you kind of look at great people being able to take others and, and make them perform better and, and repeatable, really, that's, that's what you're looking at with, um, you know, your management skills. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's, there's great people running, you know, you know, think of Bezo, how he's taken Amazon, you know, versus Sears. If, you, if you've been around a little bit longer, you remember Sears had, you know, the beginning of what Amazon had and they decided not to go with it and have now gone out of business practically. And in Amazon now has, uh, you know, what came out, I remember growing up with the wish book, right? There was a catalog, you know, you got this catalog and you kind of marked what you wanted for Christmas or things you're looking for. Now we just do it on a browser and we go to, you know, somebody's website, right? Same idea, but it was out 30 years ago, 40 years ago. And uh, they didn't, 
you know, progress with it and you, you've got things, you know, you've got the automotive industry changing, you know, with uh, e-vehicles and uh, electric vehicles now versus ICE internal combustion. And, you know, and Tesla all of a sudden is more valuable than, you know, the classic GM, Ford and Chrysler. So, you know, there, there's change and those disruptors that as you're beginning to move and look at how do we, how do we take advantage of it? There's there's plenty of failures along the way. Those are two of the big successes. But I imagine you know they've put a lot of businesses out of business who couldn't who haven't who haven't been flexible enough to you know make that change. Sure, and whether you know whether it's your client who who ran in the Olympics, I forget his name. I apologize. Kadivas Robinson. Kadivas Robinson. Whether it's Kadivas Robinson or maybe just another client who's a golfer or a client who's looking to lose weight. Is there a difference between the mindset that they have when they first meet you and the mindset they have when they work with you? Okay. So you think about anybody is they have a desire to be better, best, right? However, there's something holding them back. They're, they're in some type of failure mode, slump mode, right? So they realize that my trainer is only is as good as your trainer, so it's got to be something else in the in the software that's causing the hardware not to function right. So it's really the mental game. That's really the the next frontier. Um, you know, in in this, without going into performance enhancing drugs and, and other you know things like that, but it's it's your brain because it's your brain that allows you to have this peak performance. So, you know, the typical person is looking at, I want to get better. However, I'm something, something mentally is holding me back, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's emotions that are causing them to eat, you know, cigarettes, sticking them in your mouth. You know, I've helped people off of opioids, you know, and, you know, or it's just hitting bad golf balls. Right. Yeah. So I've taken, you know, golfers that have come to me that, you know, we're, we're good, but have, you know, lost it to come back to, you know, club champions, um, and, and seeing their performance change so quickly when they begin to focus more on what they want is I think the two things I've talked about focus on what they want and then, you know, managing mistakes. Sure. Because you're not going to, you're not going to do it perfect and you're going to have to, keep yourself engaged and performing well enough so that you're still, you're still pressing forward. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, if you look at it, you'll see this, I'm trying to remember how many years ago, but if you watch the Ryder cup, a lot of times, I think the U S was way up. And if you've played competitive golf, it's hard to play conservative, you know, good golfers play sort of on that edge where they're, 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 they're pushing it a little bit, you know, and then as they, they push it and, you know, try and, you know, a little slice or a little hook, bend the ball or something, and it goes in, it just, again, it boosts their confidence, which means they, they press a little further, but it also steals it from your competitors, right? Because they go to try it and they can't do it, or they, you know, dump it in the water or they don't get there. And then they're frustrated because they see someone else doing it. Right. And sure. As opposed to if you had a different mindset going like, hey, if Brian can do it, I can do it, mm-hmm. right? If he did it, I can do it. I swing a, it's a golf club and a golf ball. Who cares, you know? Um, you know, it's a baseball and it's a fence. If he can hit it over, I can hit it over, right? You know, and have some, you know, have some fun at it. If he can do a four-bagger, I can do a four-bagger, you know? Or if he can lead this group, I can lead this group. You know, we've got to just 
make the adjustment. So, you know, once you have those influences that come in, how do you, how do you begin to play with that? So, you know, the, the typical part, as I said, some of, they're going to have a desire to move forward. They're going to be in some failure and slump. So the key that is to then look at the framework of what they need, you know, how they need to look, hear, and feel in the moment, right, when they're performing it. Sure. What, what does it need to do so that you can be in the zone or as close to the zone to be neutral to good? You know, that, that's that way. And then you need to learn how to play ugly. You know, you're not hitting the fairways, but you're still, you're, you're still, you know, par in the hole. You know, you're playing that way. You know, you've got some anger and some frustration, but you're still, you know, moving the ball down the court, you know, down the, the fairway. You know, if you're bowling, you know, down the alley. So whatever, whatever that is, there's going to be days where it's magical. And then there's, there's days when it's ugly. And you can't buy a basket. I mean, you watch Steph Curry, you know, this guy can drain threes like it's magic. You know, this hoop's like 10 feet wide. But there's days like, you know, you watch him score 30 points, 30 points, 30 points, or, you know, and then all of a sudden, you know, he has a day where he scores only four points. You know, like you're kind of going like, what? You know, it's just, you know, what, what's happening with him that there, there's a change. But, in, you know, as a team, as we were talking in sales, when you get into a team sport now, you have to be a good enough leader um, to get the other four people to carry it. And you'll, you'll see that, you know, in LeBron James and, you know, in his transition, right? There's days where, you know, he's the king and you just get out of his way because he's a freight train coming through. But there's other days he's smart enough to know that, you know, hey, for whatever reason, I'm not hot. I don't have the touch. You still score a few points here and there, but he's feeding his team and they, they typically play well. Sure. You know? Great. And, and those are kind of transcending players, right? Like you said, Steph Curry might only score 10 points, but that game he might have 15 assists. <laughs> or the game before he had 35 points, but only six assists. And so ultimately you're saying knowing you're having a bad day doesn't mean that it should translate to a completely bad performance or your teammates suffering. Right. So, you know, those who are true leaders psychologically can identify the fact that, yeah, I'm not shooting well today. Maybe my, I can't visualize that arc or that rainbow, but at the same time, my teammates hot. And, you know, we had that conversation about the rainbow before the game and look at him. He's six for six from the field. Right. So, you know, I mean, and so this, this is how you, you know, you see team play and that cohesiveness when you begin to put everyone together. So when I so when I did some of the things with basketball, we were talking about the shooting. Um, I followed a, a couple of the college teams that had me come in, and what I saw was the shooting from the field for the next couple games. When I knew the players were listening to the audio that I created from that that session with them, they were you know they were shooting from the in the 30s up into the 40s, like almost a 10 point jump. Wow. Because they were playing together and I wasn't, and I wasn't really working on teamwork so much, but you know, everybody was, as everybody's excited, everyone's doing better. It, it becomes contagious. I was going to ask you that. Do you believe in kind of a contagious energy? All the time. I mean, look at baseball, right? Yeah. You know, if you have a game and it's a, a low scoring game, the pitchers are winning it, Right. 
all of a sudden, you know, and there's a big inning, did Jesus come down and bless all the bats and, you know, magically they get hits? No, the first guy got up and for whatever reason, he got a hit. And if he can do it, I can do it. You know, then it becomes a big, you know, huge inning. Sure. And so, you know, that, that mental, you know, change between the, the pitcher, you know, basically shutting down the batters mentally. Now, once that, now the pitcher gets in a, a tr- gets into trouble because he's no longer hitting the marks that he needs to hit to keep the ball away from the batters, or at least keep him away from getting a hit. But he's got to also remember that he's got eight other players that, that are there to work with him. You know, and, it, and it's, it's really a nine-on-one game when you play baseball or softball. That, you know, that's really the design of it. So when you're really on, you know, defense, you know, with the pitcher and everybody in the field, you know, it's a huge, huge advantage. And so you've got you've to mentally look at and, and structure things differently. But, you know, if, if you start getting, you know, when you watch a pitcher start to get hit and have big innings, and he can't pull himself out. They pull him out of the game and they put someone in because it just gets contagious on the other team for getting hits. So coming, coming back to your three questions, I want to make sure. So we talked about the typical. We've got this area of now of being able to help players, you know, or, you know, business people get into the zone, keep the zone, expand the zone. And there's a lot of other components that we haven't gotten to. You know, and this allows you to let them grow into the change. All right. So that everybody has to own it. So anything that I work with, you know, when we're working, you know, part of part of my sessions where we're we're talking, we're we're building, we're testing, you know, and then there's the eyes closed process where I'm really helping get the conscious mind out of the way, the critic out of the way so that we can get this information into the subconscious because this is where it runs automatically. And part of, you know, the homework that I have with people is that they need to listen to the recording because number one, it's relaxing, right? You know, it's the opposite of stress. Number two, it causes you to focus and you're focusing on what you want. So as you begin to do that, I can take somebody in their mind throw a hundred pitches that are perfect, you know, throw a hundred free throws that are perfect, you know, and you can't get that same simulation in real life because there's mistakes. So this is more, that's more of the hypnosis component. Correct. Okay. Makes complete sense. And so now this becomes part of the change, which means you can take what we did in our sessions. You have an audio. So my clients have audio files that I've made it for them that they can go back and re-listen to. And they can begin to figure out like, okay, when we did this, this gave me this component, then we build on it, we build on it, we build, everything we do still counts. We, we build on it going forward and they begin to own it and really tailor things to them. I mean, they'll come in and I'll ask them a question, what's going well? Right. And then I'm looking for them to focus on the things that they've been doing well, not the things that are gone wrong. I know the things that have gone wrong. Right. Nobody's perfect. So the, but the question is, is are you are you building on your successes and then that success begins to grow, which pushes out your failures. 
let me ask you something. So for me personally, right, I get so much enjoyment out of going to gym, working out, um, you know, just some free advice here, free <laughs> guidance here, right? I get so much enjoyment out of working out. I feel great every time I do it. In fact, when I was younger, I was extremely active. I feel like over the years, now that my job has got more intense, I have more burdens, responsibilities, financial pressures. I still go to the gym. However, I don't find myself working out as hard. I feel myself kind of getting a little bit lazy, lackadaisical. Then there's times I do go, I break a sweat. I feel great again. I'll do this tomorrow. And I just have that issue. It's a push and pull of um, recent struggles where I just can't get any consistency, right? How would you help me um, go to the gym, like, you know, real, come to the realization that it's what I need. It's what makes me feel good and empowers me and, and honestly probably benefits me elsewhere in my life. So Brian, I'll give you a, I'll give you an example, then we'll pull this in the story. So I've, I've taken, you know, people in my, in my office and I've had them, whether depending on whether it's a weight loss or some other athlete, and I have them imagine that we're, we're going on a run. Okay. Okay. And we, and I talk about them, you know, it's going on a three mile, five mile run. And I get into this and feel yourself going up the hill, feel your heart beginning to beat, really begin to get into the moment right now. Just feel yourself going, feel yourself pushing, pushing me, I'm pushing you, you know, and you look at it, you've just made five seconds, you know, ahead of your thing. And I've had people break out into a sweat, sitting in a chair because they made it so real in their mind their, their muscles are firing. So this is, this is some of the other tasks that you can look up, but they've had people imagine that they've worked out, whether it's a bicep curl, bench press and so forth. And when they tested them a month later, they saw, I think, I don't know, it was 11 or 13% the group. So they, t they had a placebo group that did nothing. They had one that went to the gym. They had one that mentally did the exercises, but did not lift a weight. They, they saw gains, almost the same gains from the people that lifted to the people that mentally imagined they've lifted. Wow. Okay. So because what, what ends up happening is in your mind, you fire and wire, you wire, you, you, you wire, you know, you fire this off through there, you're engaging the muscles, you know, the, the ligaments, the joints that are there. Right. So this is how powerful your brain is and it could get us into a whole other topic but it's not not appropriate for the today um a different episode possibly different episode yeah it's going to be more of an r-rated episode for that one. Um, <laughs> it's another performance anxiety that people have um <clears throat> but it's a perfect example of hypnosis but so so you know the key thing for someone like yourself would be is that you pull up to the gym all right and before you jump out of the car, you know, I want you to, um, I don't know, do you have, do you have a workout sheet if you're doing chest, you know, back, buys, tries, do you have, do you have a, I do. Yes. I just typically, usually I try to write up a plan before I go and then follow it. So whether, you know, however you got your plan, I want you to sit there and I want you to very quickly go through that. 
So as you're, as you're sitting there now, I want you to imagine, even though you're in front of the mic, imagine you're just going to bench press, right? Okay. And imagine that you're warming up. And as you just begin to move your arms, begin to engage it. And as you begin to engage moving that weight up, I want you to see it in your mind's eye. And as you see it in your mind's eye, I want you to feel it. And I want you to feel that smooth movement of your wrists holding it, your elbows flexing, your chest engaged from the extension all the way out. Just lock it out and then let it come back slowly now, and then push it up and see that you can fire out of the hole again, and then bring it back slowly and feel that motion. Feel it again, feel it again. Feel how easy and lighter the weight gets each and every time. Every time you put more on, it gets lighter and you get stronger, right? Yeah. So what do you notice and why you're doing that right now? I actually noticed my, my arms kind of tensing a little bit. I, I noticed kind of like different nerves my like little kind of reacting in a way. Right. I'm being completely honest. Yeah. And, and we, I didn't give you any more details other than just to do this. Right. No, but all no. of a sudden your, your brain's firing and you're imagining that you're pushing some weight. So when you kind of go through that, you can get that pump. I'd imagine if I'm not sitting in front of a mic and I'm laying down, I probably could probably be a little bit more uh, effective too. <laughs> you know? It doesn't, doesn't have to be lying down. I mean, that's one way, but I mean, if, if I'm doing this with, um, you know, people coming back from an injury is, is beginning to imagine, feel that muscle, feel it contract and yeah, be able to stretch, yeah. you know, going further and, you know, going, getting stronger, you know, Tommy John injuries with, you know, pitchers that I've worked with, you know, bringing them back and being able to throw, you know, quicker and easier is that the, you know, the, the tendons are like, you know, rubber bands they are really flexible, you know, and begin to change where instead of being tight, they're like got the perfect snap, they got the perfect release. You've got the perfect movement, you know, in your body here. So you're beginning to, in your mind, visualize. But I like to, in this case, I like to actually do the movement. And you can, you can get a, a pre-pump before you get out of your car. This is so interesting to me because it kind of brings me to, and I don't mean to change topics because this is, you know, I would love to have another episode where we go into, you know, this type of stuff, maybe without discussing the R rated side of it. But um, that being said, with, with COVID-19, with coronavirus, um, there's such a gap in play, right? That, you know, I, some, I know Major League Soccer, the soccer league in the United States, they had like three games and they were on pause and now they're playing again. Major League Baseball, spring training, no games, now games. And, and NBA playoffs are, you know, they're, they're starting um, NHL playoffs. There's specific athletes that are having success and teams you wouldn't expect to have success. You wonder if they use their time off in a different way, if they were doing exactly what you're saying, imagining or picturing or processing being back out on the field, focusing on a different narrative, the positives. And I'd be kind of curious if you pulled some of those players, if, if they were doing this. I imagine they either they're they're doing it, you know, in a formal way or an informal way because they're they're trying to keep their brain engaged. You know, if if you're not sharpening, you're kind of rusting, right? So, you know, even even still you mentally, you know, doing the bench press, you can get, you know, muscular definition and growth, you know, in your body. So the same thing yeah. is um, you know, if you go back and remember a soccer player named Pele, right? Of course. So he's one of the greatest that, that ever lived. They, when you, you study him, he would come into the locker room and he would actually lay down is what I, you know, I, I've read about him and he would visualize his position 
he would see him, you know, as he, as he was taking the ball down, being able to, you know, get by any of his component, components, <laughs> opponents, um, <clears throat> by, by moving it in the footwork. And it was just like magic. It was like he, he, yeah. he controlled that ball, you know, and then when you take a shot, you know, it was like a laser, you know, and he was able to, you know, see the ball bend, see the ball go, you know, wherever the, the keeper is not, you know, and, and it, so, and in his mind, when he could see anybody coming down, he was able to immediately put his eyes and his mind on what he needs to do to disrupt that, that, you know, movement of the ball against him to either force him to kick it away or he takes it away. Right. So, but that's what, that's what he did. He mentally did that every game before every game. And you don't see as many people doing that process, but he played, you know, at least two games in his head for the, the one that he was on the field. So, you know, when you begin to do that, you're going to be, you know, far ahead of your, your opponents you know, and that's one of the, you know, the homework assignments that I have with pitchers, you know, or golfers, or, you know, we go back to the thing about putting is go back to that hole and putt that hole. You know what I mean? Putt, you know, from one foot, from two foot, see it rolling in, see it break into the right, break it to the left, and it, you know, just drop and come back to your putt or go, go in, you know, and begin to put that groove in. And, and how I, you know, I mean, I just learned it for me when I putted is I started with one foot away. I began to sink one foot, then two foot, three foot, four foot, five foot. And you get 10 foot away. I was pretty confident that I could, you know, one putt this, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you kind of develop that, the mental look, but also the feel that you need to have on, um, you know, having, getting the ball to where it goes. But I mean, when you begin to do it in your mind, your brain doesn't know if it's real or not real, but acts as if it is. Very interesting. So, so when you, you do that in one way, it's for it, but this is how you create anxiety and worry and fear, right? Because your brain, you're doing it in your brain, your body doesn't know if it's real or not real, but acts as if it is. So, you know, you think that that spider from Harry Potter, that's like, you know, three cars, you know, in size is right behind you. And someone says there's a little spider there in your brain. It's just huge tarantula that's going to eat you, right? It's, it's that way in your brain. Yeah. So, I mean, this is, this is how people, you know, create phobias and, and other, other issues that, that cause problems is, you know, it could be from a physical trauma or it could just be from a mental trauma that they've, they've allowed to exist and they keep putting energy into it. It's very interesting. And one more question um, before we kind of wind things down is that phobia or mindset or the energy they put into something what you do is scientifically based. However, individuals who have superstitions, do you kind of frown upon that? Or do you think in a way, maybe that helps them get in the right mindset and similar, similar to an athlete, right? And we used the example before who, who um, gets anxiety before a race and they see themselves through to have success, maybe putting, you know, the same pair of socks on every game as long as you're washed is something they need to do in order to see themselves have success. Do you frown upon superstition? Well, I mean, superstition is really, you know, on one level, it's just a belief. Okay. Okay. 
you know, I mean, it, it's a belief structure, right? Sure. Um, and what is that belief based on and how much do you believe it? Yeah. Right. Or how much do you doubt it? Yeah. You know, if, if those, you know, it's that, that old show, was it like Mike, you know, he got Michael Jordan sneakers or something. And all of a sudden this little, you know, eight year old kids doing, you know, dunks, um, you know, from from half court. Yeah, I mean, but it, but it's the belief that hey, Michael Jordan's special powers in these sneakers, and I'm free to be Mike or better than Mike. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, you know, that's no more than a superstition than it is to, well, the Cubs couldn't win. I mean, I don't, whatever you know, I mean, whatever thing that followed, you know, along. It, it's a belief, and you know, it, either you think you can or you think you can't. Either way, you're right. You know, Henry. I think Henry Ford put that quote out there, right? So why not think you can? Why not, you know, begin to create what you want versus what you don't want? And that's a, that's a great quote. And I, I think we'll edit there because that'll keep our listeners kind of pondering, um, especially during this pandemic and everything that's going on, what they can do in their lives to maybe better themselves or uh, be more successful in day-to-day things that they want to focus on. So, Todd, thank you so much for your time today. I really enjoyed having you on the show. It's a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me in and being part of this. And if anybody needs to get in touch with us, it's uh, phillyhypnosis.com. And you can reach us at 877-557-7409. Thank you, Todd. Thank you. Once again, that was Todd Stofka of Philly Hypnosis. If you enjoyed today's episode of the SBR Podcast, please follow me on Twitter at SBR underscore podcast. I'm also on Instagram at the same handle, SBR underscore podcast. And if you feel the need to provide any further feedback, please visit www.sportsbusinessreview.com, the official home of the SBR Podcast. Once again, my name is Brian McDonough, and have a great weekend, everyone.